Good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Happy New Year. It's a wonderful year already. I don't know about you, but I'm very excited to see what God's what God is going to do in this church, in my life, in my family's life. Um, just excited to to see God's glory on display. Amen. Uh, if you're a guest, welcome to First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. We're always excited to have guests with us. Um, this morning, we will be focusing on the book of Joshua. Um, so Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 will be our focal passage of Scripture. This is our New Year's sermon, right? Um, as we observe the commands that God gave Joshua in the book of Joshua. There are great promises here that we can hold on to as well, because God is a covenant-keeping God. So with that said, Turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. If you don't know what Joshua is, uh, look at the first five books of the New Testament, and then right after Deuteronomy is the book of Joshua. When you've arrived to it, say word, stand out of reverence to God's holy and righteous word. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am given to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of our God. Let's pray together. Father, Wow. God, you are such an intimate God. You see our deficiencies. And God, you spoke to us from heaven. And here you're speaking to your servant Joshua to be strong and courageous. And his strength, his courage did not come from worldly leadership, principles and leadership. It came through him being obedient to your word. 
But God, when we cast our eyes upon you and your word, we find great strength. So God, maybe there are some in this room today that are depleted. There's no energy. And God, I pray that you refresh them and rejuvenate them by causing them to cast their eyes upon you and your word so they can find great strength and courage for the year of 2023. We love you, so teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not and give us what we do not have. And God's people said, amen, amen. The title for today's sermon is Standing on the Promises of God. Standing on the Promises of God. Have you thought about the resolutions you probably would make this year? Perhaps you have made some goals that you want to do something different physically. Maybe emotionally you want to feel different and and do things differently. Maybe financially you're thinking to yourself, hey, I want to be in a better position, make wiser decisions financially. And I pray to God, the most important of all is spiritual resolutions. I pray that you have you sat down and you thought to yourself, man, I, I want to read Scripture more in 2023 than I did in 2022. I, I want to be more involved in the church in 2023 than I did in 2022. I want to share the gospel even more. I, I want to be a godly co-worker at work even more. I pray that you are saying this. And if you are, if you are interested in making goals and resolution spiritually this year, I want you to consider Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions. Jonathan Edwards, in the year of 1722 and 1723, he wrote 70 resolutions. He was at the age of 18 and 19. So I want you to hear from an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old, right? He was 18 and 19 when he wrote those 70 resolutions, but those resolutions are incredible. I'm not going to read all of them to you, but what I want you to understand is those 70 resolutions falls into three separate categories. And this is basically what Jonathan Edwards is saying. He resolved in his heart to do these things. One in particular, a life, life is for the glory of God. So Jonathan Edwards resolved in his heart, life is for the glory of God. Whatever I do is for the glory of God. I eat is for the glory of God. I play golf is for the glory of God. I hunt is for the glory of God. Everything that I do and say is for the glory of God. So God's glory is always on display for Jonathan Edwards. May we say the same thing in this year. That our life is to display the glory of God. The second category of the 70 resolution is this. Life should be lived in light of eternity. So in other words, Jonathan Edwards said to himself, life is not based on the temporal, but based on the eternal. So I live my life based on what is happening in heaven. That my final destination is heaven, not earth. So I live heavenly and not worldly. And third, Jonathan Edwards says, life is lived best by those who guard the heart. And this is holiness. This sense of progressive Christianity in our world today is foreign to Scripture. We are always introspective, always looking at our hearts and saying, God, look, there is sin. I want you to kill it. 
So we're constantly guarding our hearts as Christians. This, this sense of progressive Christianity that we find in this world is saying to yourself, man, just, just live your life however you want. God loves you. God understands. If there's fornication, adultery, slandering, all, don't worry about that. God understands. No, we as Christians are called to guard our hearts. And this is exactly what Jonathan Edwards said. He resolved to guard his heart. Friends, there is a new year. And it's a great time, a great time to reset, right? It's a great time to say to ourselves, man, I'm, I'm not looking back like the Apostle Paul said, but I'm looking forward to the things which are ahead. I press forward to the things which are in Christ Jesus. So we can say the same thing in 2023. We look ahead to what God has for us. And we look ahead to his grace and his mercy. This morning, I want you to consider the life of Joshua, the son of Nun. And particularly, I want you to see the ways that uh, God used him. God called Joshua to be a leader. Now Moses is dead at this time. God's people are on the borders of the promised land. And then Joshua now is called to lead God's people into the promised land. But who will lead what kind of man will lead God's people into the promised land? Wasn't this great leader according to this world standard? No. It was a man who resolved in his heart to put God's glory on display. A man who resolved in his heart to live for eternity rather than for what is temporal. And a man who resolved in his heart to guard his heart. And this is Joshua. The book of Joshua points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate fulfillment of the book of Joshua is Jesus. As a matter of fact, Joshua's name basically means God who saves. God who saves. Joshua's name in the Old Testament is the exact same name as Jesus in the New Testament. Now, I'm not telling you here that Joshua is Jesus. No, he's not. But his characteristic is similar to that of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is putting God on display. And by doing that, we can see the characteristics of Christ in Joshua. This is the characteristic of every godly man and woman. If they're living for Jesus, we can see Jesus in them. And this is exactly what we find here. Josephus tells us something very interesting about Joshua. Josephus was a Jewish historian and he tells us at this point, Joshua is 80 years old. This is an old man who's leading God's people into the promised land, which tells us 40 years prior, he was 40 years old, and he was involved, or he was in this, this slavery, right? He was a slave to Egypt. So Joshua wandered with the people in the wilderness, experienced slavery, experienced the power of God, experienced the grace of God, and 40 years later, God is saying to Joshua, enter into the promised land. Joshua is a type of Christ in his name and in his work. So friends, as we observe this book, as we observe Joshua here, we must ask ourselves, what principles must we get from this passage of Scripture? 
We want to be careful because a lot of people, what they tend to do is they jump into the Old Testament and they say to us, oh, this is for me. This is my claim. This is my inheritance. We, we can't do that. We have to read scripture in context. For example, God is not telling us to go and conquer a geographical area. God is not saying to us, go to China and kill all the people in China. That's not what God is telling us. God is not telling us that he's giving us temporal rest like he promised them here. No. So what exactly is it that we must get from the book of Joshua? So I want to give you that before we even dive in the word here. The first thing is, our land here is heaven. This is, this is heaven. We are bound for heaven. And God has promised us here, the New Testament saints, that we will have heaven. Our rest here is not a temporal place, but it is eternal. That God has promised us a great rest, friends. Our enemies here are not the people in China and the Muslims and all those around the world, the Russians, right? No, no, no. Our enemies are not them. Our enemies is the flesh, the devil, and sin. So as we read the book of Joshua, we must get the right application. So don't say to yourself, well, God has promised me that he will defeat the Russians on my behalf. No. God has promised me this geographical land that I will find great rest. No. The way we read this scripture is by looking at the New Testament, how Christ has fulfilled everything, and then read that into the Old Testament. And this is exactly what we will be doing this morning. So, friends, notice with me very carefully. Like the Israelites, believers are in a battle to fully possess all that God has given us. This is the application here. We too have not yet reached the fullness of the rest in the heavenly kingdom. But we are called to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So that we can enter into a more and more blessing of everlasting gospel. This is the beauty of this text here. We too, we too, coming closer. We too have life lessons to learn about the priorities of faith and obedience. This is how we read the book of Joshua. This is how we, on this side of the cross, read the book of Joshua. So with this said, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, I want you to write two points down here based on this passage of Scripture. One, God's promises reveal his faithful character. God's promises reveal his faithful character. We see this in verses 1 through 6. Two, God's promises encourage our obedience to his word. God's promises encourage our obedience to his word. We see this in verses 7 through 9. I pray that you're ready to encounter the word of God, the spirit of God, and seeing how they are putting the glory of God on display. So come, let's make much of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how you can do this this morning. Pay attention to his word. Listen, listen, listen with everything that you have and desire to apply what you are hearing. Apply it. Ask the spirit of God to change you. So with this said, point number one, God's 
promises reveal his faithful character. You see, the book of Joshua continues where the book of Deuteronomy left off. Moses is dead, right? We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 34. And the next man up is Joshua. God selected Joshua to be the next one to lead his people. Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 9 states, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord has commanded Moses. So although Moses is dead, Moses' mark and legacy are still noticeable in the book of Joshua. As a matter of fact, the first seven verses, five times Moses' name is mentioned. Moses' name is mentioned 59 times in the book of Joshua. Point. His legacy and his mark is still noticeable. God used Moses tremendously. Moses humbled himself. And because of that, we see that, that God is saying to Joshua to emulate what Moses did. And Moses was obedient. But friends, do you notice in verse 1 the title the servant of the Lord is mentioned, which is an incredible title. See for yourself here, after the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord. Moses is given this title, servant of the Lord. Now, I want you to observe this with me and coming closer and don't miss this. The title, servant of the Lord, is earned and proven through a continual lifestyle of obedience. It is. It is a title given to one who appropriates God's promises and obeys God's commands. Joshua is not given this title until the end of the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24. But who's given this title? Moses. Moses, Moses was faithful to the things of God. If you notice very carefully in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 17, uh, Timothy is given this title. Servant of God. Why? Because he is appropriating the word of God in his life. So you're not called servant if you're not appropriating. Right? Again, we, we are given in scripture where it mentions the, the terminology or the phrase or the title man of God. Every time the man of God is mentioned, it's one who applies the word of God. One who is living for God. This is a term of endearment. This is a term of obedience. That you are called man of God, woman of God, because you are obeying the things of God and the word of God. Now, although Joshua's name is mentioned and Moses' name is mentioned, Joshua and Moses are not the hero in this passage of Scripture. Who is the hero? God is. Yahweh is mentioned twice in verse 1. The servant of the Lord. This word Lord is the word Yahweh. This is a covenant-keeping God. God is the hero in the book of Joshua. God is the hero in the entire Bible, of the entire Bible. So as we read Scripture, notice that God is the hero. Now watch this. The name Yahweh tells us about God's eternal existence. It does that he is enduring and faithful to his people. We see this in verses 3 through 5. That God declaring his intention toward his people. 
that he will keep them, he will protect them, he will lead them, he will guide them. As a matter of fact, in verses 3 through 5, we see three ways that God is committed to his people. This is for you. You do not serve a God who is distant from his people, who is not committed to his people. No, we serve a God, when we're reading the Old Testament and New Testament, God is committed to his people. In three ways here that we are told that God is committed to his people. One, God commits to giving his people the promised land. He commits to giving his people the promised land. We see this in verses 3 through 4. Two, God commits to overcoming the enemies of his people. We see this in verse 5 and 3. God commits to being with Joshua as he was with Moses. So, one, he commits to giving his people the promised land. This is beautiful. This promise was given to Abraham in the book of Genesis as we are walking through the book of Genesis in your Sunday school classroom. Your Sunday school teachers shared this with you, that God gave Abraham this great promise, that he will inherit this promised land. But if you notice very carefully in the text, which is amazing, notice the past tense here. God didn't say to them, I will give to you. God says, I have already given to you, right? Notice in your own Bibles. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go over to the Jordan, you and all the people into the land that I am given to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. Here it is. I have given to you. Oh, whoa, wait, wait. What? This is how amazing God's promises are. They're yes, yes, and yes. God is saying to them, even before this is actually happening right now, this is your land that I have given to you. That I will give. I have given. It is yours. Take possession. Walk. Believe it. Have courage. And go and take possession of it. This is amazing here. What I love about this is that for us, there is not this physical geographical land that we can say we take possession, that God has given to us. We're not Jews here. But what exactly is it that God is saying to us here in the New Testament? Well, here it is. What God is saying here to us is not a physical land, but spiritual blessings and eternal hope. This is what has been promised to us. On this side of the cross, that we are promised spiritual blessings to walk with God in intimacy. That God will speak to us through his word. That God will lead us and guide us. That we have an eternal hope in heaven awaiting us. Friends, this is good news for us. This is why we stand on the promises of God. I like what the author of Hebrews mentions concerning this. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is a blessing for us. But it's not temporal, it is eternal. 
So we are awaiting this great blessing that the Lord has promised us. So we claim it. We believe it. We hold on to it. And we appropriate that in our lives through obedience. This is a joy here. We are promised. We are promised of this great hope, our inheritance that is preserved for us in heaven. Notice with great confidence what the Apostle Peter mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Ashley read this, and I hope as she was reading it, you were meditating on this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again, to live in hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is, here it is, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, where is it? It is kept in heaven for you. Who is holding it? Who, by God's power, is being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed on the last day. This is the hope that we stand on. This is a great promise here, friends. And two, God commits to overcoming the enemies of his people. Do you see it in verse 5? In verse 5, he states that no one will stand before Joshua no one will stand before Joshua, and we see it. If you've ever read the book of Joshua, you see how God fought for his people. They would go before the walls of Jericho and go around the wall and travel and march around the wall, and God caused the wall to fall, and God gave great defeat. Victory. Victory. In victory, as you read the book of Joshua, you just you, you see how victorious God is. No one will stand before you, Joshua. Well, what about us? What about my enemies, God? What about my, my employer who doesn't like me? He's my enemy. Kill him, God. What, what, what about the one who sits right next to me that I don't like? Do something, God. What about this family member I do not like? Do something. What about this person who's picking on me at school? Do something, God. No, we cannot claim this promise. Not like that. They are not your enemies. How do you know this, Kevin? Because the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. No matter how evil they might be toward you, they're not your enemies. They're not. As a Christian, we look at things differently. No matter how horribly they can treat you, no matter if they kill you, they're not your enemies. Well, Kevin, who are our enemies? I'm glad you're asking this because the New Testament tells us our enemies. Who? The devil, the world, and sin. That's your enemies. The devil, the world, and sin. And God commits to overcoming the enemies of his people. Do you get this? God has committed to overcome your enemies. If you're a Christian this morning, in Matthew 16, verse 18, the church is promised that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. This is the church's enemy here. The three enemies, and notice with me very carefully, Concerning our flesh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 13, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh 
to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, but, don't you just love the buts in Scripture? <laughs> Great promises. The but, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is our enemy, the flesh. But God has overcome the flesh. And that's only for you if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're dead in your sins. You're a slave to your flesh. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, saints, friends, come in closer and get this. God has overcome the flesh. But not only the flesh, concerning sin, Paul mentions in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, that sin has no dominion over us. Who's us? Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 through 57, he says the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Here is the word but again. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has overcome sin and concerning the devil. The book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Who is that? Who is that, the author of Hebrew? That is the devil. Christ has defeated him. And deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. God has committed himself to you, oh beloved. So, you have no excuse. No excuse. Do not say that you are slaves to sin. Do not say that you are slave to gossiping. I can't stop it. Do not say that you are slave to the bottle or the pill if you're a Christian. No, Kevin, you don't understand. It has such a strong hold on me. I cannot stop gossiping. I cannot stop slandering. I cannot stop fornication. I cannot stop pornography. I, I cannot stop. And you fill in the blank. No, no, friends. If you're a Christian this morning, know this. Know this, that God has overcome your enemies. In the same way we find with Joshua that he has. He is faithful to do it. He was faithful to do it in Joshua's life. He is faithful to do it in our life. And three, God commits to being with Joshua as he was with Moses. Do you see it in the text? I will always be with you. Do you see the great promise here? I don't think you're seeing this. Coming closer. Coming closer. Now look down at your Bibles and see for yourself how God promised. He promised here to be with Joshua. We see it in verses 5, right? Also in verse 3. So we see it in verse 3 and verse 5. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you just, I pro just as I promised to Moses. In verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Well, Kevin, this is a promise just to Joshua. No, this is a promise for you as well if you're a Christian. Well, how do you know this, Kevin? Coming closer. The Great Commission was given to who? 
Was it just the apostles or was it given to all of us? All of us. And in this great commission, after he says, all authority has been given to me, and he says to go and make disciples, to teach and to baptize, and he says, lo, I will be with you sometimes. Is that what Jesus said? No, I will be with you always. This is the promise given to us in the New Testament. As Joshua is commissioned to go, we are commissioned to go. As Christians, as Joshua is promised that God will be with him always, we are promised that God will be with us always as we are fulfilling the Great Commission. Oh, friends, this is the Jesus that we serve. Do you see it? We stand on the promises of God, and it is in God's name and character that we see amazing things. So notice with me the second point here. The second point, God's promises encourage our obedience to his word. We find three times that God mentions to Joshua to be strong and courageous. Three times in this text. Be strong and courageous. In verse 6, verse 7, be strong and courageous. Then in verse 9, be strong and courageous. And then the people, when they made the oath to Joshua, in verse 19, they said to Joshua, only if you will be strong and courageous. Now stop. Why are they saying this to Joshua? And why is God consistently saying this to Joshua? Because the task ahead will need Joshua to be strong and courageous. To go and defeat your enemies over and over and over and over again. You need to be strong and courageous. But this is what I believe. I believe that Joshua's natural disposition was not courage and strength. I believe perhaps Joshua was a timid person. His disposition was perhaps very timid. Now, I don't have proof for this, but it's what I believe. And the reason why is because God is saying to Joshua two times or three times, and then the people in verse 18 are saying, Joshua, we'll follow you, but just be strong and courageous. Now, friends, this is natural in Scripture. This is consistent in Scripture, that God always uses the ones who are the least, the ones who struggle the most with a particular, uh, maybe leadership, right? Maybe Joshua wasn't a natural leader. And that's exactly what God does. Take, for example, Moses. That Moses was not able to speak fluently, right? He wasn't this eloquent speaker. According to the text, it says that Moses perhaps stuttered. But God used Moses to go to Pharaoh. What about David? David was just a small boy, a shepherd boy. So much so that when Samuel entered into David's house, Samuel said, God, what about David's brother? What about this one and that one? And God says, no, it's David. And Samuel says, God, he's just a boy. Why are you using him? His brothers are better. They're stronger. The disciples as well, I believe, they were not the best of the best. But nevertheless, Jesus chose them. This is consistently in Scripture. That God doesn't pick the ones who are already equipped. God equips them, and God sets them out. He sends them out to do the work of the ministry. Here in particular, perhaps Joshua struggled with leadership. Perhaps he struggled with being courage, courageous. 
Perhaps he struggled with leading the way he ought to. But here specifically, what we find is sandwiched between those two commands to be courageous, be courageous, is what? Meditate on the word of God. In other words, friends, there's a point to, to what I'm saying. The way that we find ourselves courageous and strengthened in this Christian life is through the word of God. What made Joshua courageous here is the word of God. Is Joshua depending and meditating on the word of God. Coming closer and don't miss this. Joshua's strength and courage would come from him meditating on the word of God, believing in its promises, and obeying its precepts. This is why he was strong. This is why I love that God will use someone who probably struggles with leading, that struggle with speaking, and God will say, come, come, I will equip you so that my glory would be on display. It's easy for us to trust someone who is a natural leader, who's a natural speaker. But if we know that, man, this person struggles with this, but yet he speaks with such boldness, it's because of the power of God. And this is exactly perhaps what we're experiencing here. Friends, the word of God should be the means by which we are refreshed spiritually. It is. It is. In verse 8, God mentions the law, which is the Torah, God's word. Coming closer and pay close attention to this. Write this down if you can. The key to Joshua and the Israelite success was not military strategies, but a life dedicated to God's word and obedience. Do you get this? Do you get this? Christianity is simple. We make it so complex. We say to ourselves, we want the deep stuff. And what's the deep stuff? The deep stuff in Christianity is obedience. The simple thing that you have learned about God, obey it. That's how you go deep in Christianity. We have people writing books and trying to figure out how Joshua was a great leader, maybe because he said this and he did this. No, it's simple. He trusted in God and he obeyed God. That's it. That's it. In verse 7, he's called not to turn away from the word. In verse 8, he's called not to allow the word to depart from his mouth, but to meditate upon it day and night. So meditation here if you notice in your Bible, in verse 8, he says to Joshua to meditate on the word of God day and night. Meditation is so different in our culture. When you think about meditation, you think about emptying your mind in our culture today, right? If you meditate, you empty your mind. It's the opposite in Scripture. In the Jewish culture, it wasn't emptying your mind. It was filling your mind with God. The things of God, the Word of God. And this is exactly what we have here. So meditation involved a two-step process in the Jewish culture. One, a person would focus on God. He would fill his mind with God's Word and God's character. And two, the person would be involved in an activity that was done out loud. This is why you find the psalmist David 
He sings all the time, and he sings the Word of God because he was meditating on the Word of God. So they meditate by thinking deeply on the character of God, the attributes of God, and then they would involve themselves in an activity, whether they would memorize the Scripture or they would sing praises to God based on what they have just read. So this is what meditation, meditations, meditation was centered on God. It was thinking deeply about God. And here, God says to Joshua, meditate deeply on my word. So meditate day and night is a Hebrew expression that means always. So coming closer and get this. There's never a moment when whatever decision has to be made, the Bible is not in the driver's seat. Please get this. This is what God is telling Joshua. The Bible is in the driver's seat. The law of God is in the driver's seat. You want to be prosperous? You want victory? You want joy? Allow the word of God to be in the driver's seat. In 2023, will the Bible be in the driver's seat? Or will your emotions be in the driver's seat? Or will your finances be in the driver's seat? No, friends, let the Bible, let the word of God rule over you. I love this. As you notice in the text, he mentions the word careful and to do, right? So obey the word carefully and do the word of God. Those phrases, uh, two phrases, are paired in the Old Testament 42 times. And every single time they are together, it pertains to the word of God. It pertains to obeying and doing the word of God, the will of God. This is amazing that we're called to obey. We're called to do the word of God. So like Joshua, we're called to observe the word of God and to do the word of God. But finally, notice with me very carefully. Do you see in your own Bibles, the word prosperity is mentioned twice in this text. Success and prosperity. This is not what the prosperity gospel believers or people are saying. No. If, if you do the will of God, if you obey the word of God, you will get a lot of money. It's like cabbage and black eyed peas, right? <laughs> That's what they say to you. If you, if you eat that today... You're going you're gonna to have a lot of money. And all of you are saying, I still have no money. And perhaps I've been doing this for every year, right? right? So, so is, is, is God saying the same thing to us here? Like, obey the will of God. You will be prosperous. And you will have a lot of success. You will have a lot of money in your bank account. No. How do you know this, Kevin? Because we see it in Job. Job lost everything. And yet he was still obedient to the will of God. So what is prosper and success here? Prosper and success is being at peace with God. That there is joy in the midst of your difficulties. I would rather that than a million dollars in my bank account. Why, Kevin? Because the people who have a million dollars in their bank account are the same ones that we're seeing on display with anxiety and depression and all the other things in their life. Wanting to commit suicide because they're never happy. They have more money than you can ever imagine, but there's no joy at all. So, so how are we Christians supposed to do this? It's, it's not about what I have in my bank account. It's about who I have in my heart. 
And it's Jesus. Jesus, he gives me peace and joy in the midst of difficulties. And guess what? I am prosperous when I have this. I have great success when I have Jesus. So how should we measure success and prosperity? By asking three questions. One, did we obey the will of God? Are you obeying the will of God? If you say yes to this, you are prosperous. Were you empowered by the Spirit of God? Did the Spirit of God empower you? If you say yes, if the Spirit of God is empowering you moment by moment, you're filled with the Spirit, then you are prosperous and successful. Did we serve to the glory of God? Ask yourself these questions. If you say yes, then you are prosperous. As we close, as I was studying the book of Joshua, I could not help but see the similarities between Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and Matthew chapter 28, verses 20, verses 18 through 20. So what are they? Follow with me. Both texts are commissioning passages. God is commissioning Joshua, and God is commissioning us here. Do you see it? Both texts are commissioning passages. Two, both texts mentions mediators that are to be learned from and followed after. Joshua, he's called to learn from Moses and to follow Moses' example. And here in the New Testament, the disciples are called to learn from Jesus and to follow Jesus. Three, both mediators are departing or have departed. Moses is dead, as explained to, as explained in Deuteronomy chapter 34. However, we have our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage of Scripture, right? Who will depart. He is departing. And he says to them, go and do this. So Jesus' last command is our first concern. We see this in four. Both texts emphasize God's God being with his people always. You see, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, I am with you always to the end of the earth. So we see Joshua's commission here in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, but we have our commission as well in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So friends, Let's stand on the promises of God. Let's love God. Let's put his glory on display. Let's guard our hearts. Let us live for eternity. And watch. Watch what God will do in your life this year. I pray that you're ready. I pray that you're ready to stand on his promises and to obey him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your will, your mercy the joy that you've given us, O oh Lord. I pray, Father, that our hearts are ready to encounter our great God and be with us, Father. In your mighty and precious name, amen, amen.